Turn with me, if you would, over to the Gospel of Luke. I had prepared one sermon for tonight, and then um, as the day wore on, I realized that, nope, that one's, that one's for later. And um, tonight, there's, there's actually a, a full subject. I thought we would just answer a question and move on, but the Lord's going to have us spend the whole evening on a question that was asked on our question cards. And it has to do in our subject with healing, so it fits right into it. I've even told you we're going to answer this question. But in the lobby in the back on the table, there's these uh, cards. And they're biblical answers to your everyday life questions. And so you can ask a question there. And it may or may not get answered publicly. Um, some have put in questions that are, are funny and silly. And others have put in questions that are, are serious. And so there's no wrong questions. Um, it just may or may not get answered from the front, understand. So uh, nobody's going to criticize your question. So the, we're going to look at a question. We're just going to spend the whole evening on that subject tonight. And, and However, what I had studied first and planned on bringing to you tonight was on your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so then Karen stands up and gets you all warmed up on that, right? So I'm like, well, that's good. She's planting seed for next week and, uh, and getting your gears turning that way. And it's, a, it's the hors d'oeuvres for uh, next week, Lord willing. That's what he wants us to speak on anyway. So uh, come expecting to hear how that is um, a part of healing. But in the meantime, did you find Luke chapter 5? <clears throat> we have been covering for some time now the subject that healing is the will of God. And we have looked at Scripture after Scripture after Scripture on why we believe that healing is God's will for everybody. And that it's not an issue of um, you having to earn it. It's not an issue. It's already provided for you at Calvary, right? And so what we've been using at, in Luke chapter 5, we've kind of been using this as a starting point because it asks, this guy comes and asks the question of Jesus that many are still asking today. So in verse 12, it says, while he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. Some translations say that he had leprosy, was covered in it. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this is the question that seems so much of the Many Christians today are still asking, is the Lord willing to heal me? Is it His will that I be able to conceive a little one? Is it His will that I walk in health? Is it His will that I be healed of this cancer? Is it His will that, you know, on and on and on. And a lot of the church world is unfortunately, they have decided, well, the way we determine if God wants that for you or not is what, if it happens. Right, But if it doesn't happen, then obviously that wasn't his will. But it doesn't take a, a Bible student even very long to discover that can't be the case because his will doesn't just automatically happen. Right? Every week we've been saying this line that you know, God's will doesn't automatically happen because the Scripture tells us it's his will that none should perish and yet people perish every day. So his will goes unfulfilled in their life. So is it possible that God's will could be fulfilled or not fulfilled in our life? Absolutely. So there is a role that we have to play in it. However, starting with number one is we have to have the knowledge of what He has provided for us. And without that knowledge, you simply won't even know to, to receive it or believe it. 
Let's go on and see what happened here. In verse 13, Jesus reaching out His hand, He touched Him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left Him. Now if ever there was opportunity for Jesus to say, you know what, sometimes it's not my will, this would have been it, right? Because the question was asked, if you're willing, if you want to. And he gives them, he gives this man his response. He says, I am willing. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it tells us that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Not one time can we find in Scripture where Jesus did not heal someone who came to him for healing. Not one time. This is his will clearly demonstrated in the earth that when you come to Him for healing, heal. Now today, you and I, we want to see the same thing, right? And we want to see the instantaneous healing. And we know that sometimes it comes that way and sometimes it comes through a process. A sped up healing nonetheless, but slower than instantaneously. Both are miracles, right? And then there are some diseases that are just completely incurable. By a doctor's viewpoint, but not from God's, right? If it was able to reverse and go wrong, it's not a big thing for Him to reverse it and make it go right. And so um, we looked at 13 reasons why we believe that healing is the will of God for everyone today. And I'm not going to go through all the reasons today. I'll just mention a few of the highlights. Um, if you would like to, you can go back online, find all the sermons for every reason and um, they're on our website and listen to them. Uh, one of the reasons was because God's Word is medicine. God's Word will heal you. Proverbs says His Word is medicine. So if His Word heals you, it's weird that, that you know, if it was against God's will to heal you, it's weird that it would say His Word will heal you though. He doesn't want you to, but if you eat His Word, you'll get healed. That's just weird, isn't it? So we looked at all these reasons. Another one was because of God's original creation. He created the world without sickness. We look at the world that He's going to create and heaven to come is without sickness. So we see what's His will before the fall and, and after this whole thing wraps up. What's His will? Well, His will is divine health. No sickness involved. And so we can identify what is it that God wants. We recognize that the origin of sin origin of sickness came from sin back there in the Garden of Eden. And that sickness is a work of the devil. That was another one of the reasons. We looked at the eternal names of God. And in particular, Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord that heals you. Now, if the Lord doesn't want us to have the notion that He would heal us, then He ought not have named Himself that way. Right? Right? So, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that heals you. We saw that sickness is a part of the curse of the law. And that's back in Deuteronomy 28. And then in Galatians 3, how it says that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us and being hung on the tree. And He was made sin for us. So He took the curse. So all that sickness as a part of the curse, we've been redeemed from it. And then we looked at Job, right? And we said, what about Job? And we saw clearly that from the example of Job, God's will to heal was there and evident. There's just been a lot of twisting of Scripture and misunderstanding of, of what took place there. 
So if that sounds strange to you, if you're new here with us tonight, you can go online and find that sermon. That was just a few weeks ago. And I saw we had several guests here, some in the back over here. I also have my uh, cousins here, up here on the front row. I told them that, man, I said, our, our safety and security team, they just let anybody in here, don't they? <laughs> They, uh, they are from Virginia, and so they are up here uh, overnight, and so it's such a treat to have them. I grew up with both of them in Missouri, and uh, have them here with us today. In fact, um, Kendall, wave at everyone so they know which one I'm talking about. Kendall was my cousin who went with me to Iraq and Turkey, and uh, with my, when my uncle and cousin had gone, he was the one um, that had gone along, and um, we had a wonderful time there, so... It's good to have family here. Of course, I did tell them that we expect our, our guests to sing a solo and give interpretive dance, so I, I think they're preparing that. The rest of you guests will be kinder to you. So then reason number 13 that we looked at last week was because of redemption. We believe that healing is the will of God is because of the redemption Jesus provided for us at Calvary. And we looked in detail what was included as He went to the cross, as He suffered in our place, what did He take for us and what did He give to us? And in Isaiah 53, I'll just read it to you. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says this, He Himself bore our sicknesses and He carried, carried off is what the word means, our pains. So He bore our sicknesses, He carried off our pains, But we in turn regarded Him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but He was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. And so we see that at Calvary you are just as equally healed as you were forgiven back at Calvary. Lord's not sitting in heaven deciding, huh, should I forgive Eric? When Eric says, Lord, forgive me, he's not sitting up there going, hmm, should I or should I not forgive him? It's already been provided. It's already been stamped and sealed, and it's there. All Eric has to do is reach out and lay hold of it and claim it for himself. Well, healing is the same way, right? It's not going to just fall on you accidentally. You have to reach out, take a hold of it, and receive it. It was provided for you back there at Calvary, just like forgiveness of sins was. And if that all sounds strange to you, well then go back and listen to last week's sermon. Turn with me, if you would, over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, I say this often, don't take my word for it, study it out for yourself. What does that mean? You know, it's good to trust people, but don't just take someone's word for, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Look for it yourself. Because when the pressure comes to you, you need to know this is what the Word says, not this is what Pastor Sid says. You need to know the Word says this, and so this is where I'm going to make my stand, is what He said, right? So you need to find it for yourself and to study it out for yourself. And um, so in Second Peter here in, verse, in chapter 3, let's look at verse 15. It says, also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He speaks about these things in all his letters, in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. 
So apparently some of this was new to them, right? Paul had received a lot of revelation, didn't he? In particular about grace. And so they were dealing with law versus grace and how, you know, what happened in between there. And so Paul receives this revelation. He writes and sends these things out. But there was a problem. There was some people that were twisting it, misunderstanding it, misapplying it. And it was to their own destruction. Let's keep reading here. He says, he speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of Scriptures. It's really important that you know what Scripture says. This will go a long way, a long way towards you avoiding deception. Because you know what the Word says already. So when somebody, when somebody says, you know, well, the Word says this, you know whether it does or doesn't. Or at least have a good idea. If someone says, well, the Word says, and you know it goes against other places in the Word, that's a red flag for you to go, now wait a minute. That's not quite how this works. See, how do we rightly divide Scripture? Anybody? With other Scripture. That's right. How do we be a good student and rightly divide Scripture as we go to other Scripture and say, well, what does it say about that? And we look for more than one, two. We look for two, three or more witnesses in Scripture for a confirmation of what we believe it's saying. Of course, we're not going to underestimate the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that's teaching us as we read. That's important. And when you sit down and read your Bible, just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to speak to you as I read. Show me things. Reveal things to me, Father. Teach me. And, and He will. It'll be a marked difference if you haven't done that before. Try it. You may just be there the rest of the day. Verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the air of immoral and fall from your own stability. But grow in grace, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So that brings us to the question that was asked. Because the question that was asked is a question that has been severely twisted in Scripture. Not the question, but people have. It's been taught in a twisted way for years and years, and people have a twisted understanding of it. And so the question was saying, well, how does this all, how does Paul's thorn in the flesh and healing work together? How, how do these lay together? How do they complement each other, right? So that's what the question we're going to look at tonight is what about Paul's thorn? So go with me over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at a number of Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Because usually when people want to argue that healing is not the will of God, man, there's two places they rush to. One is Job. We've already answered that one thoroughly. And the other one is Paul's thorn in his flesh. And then they tie it together with like Galatians 4 and other scriptures and try to make it say a whole bunch of things that are just simply not there in the text. You'll stay out of a world of trouble if you just go with what's written rather than adding things in. I think he's saying this. And so you have to watch even on translations because you know some translations, they try to do everything word by word. 
Some are sentence by sentence. In other words, if you say a sentence, they're going to say what you said, just not in the same order. And then there are those that are thought for thought. So what the text says as a thought, it says they basically say this is what he's trying to say in their own language. And so you have to watch what kind of translation you have and and be aware that there are mistakes in translation. Not in the Word of God, but in translation. So here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what's taking place is Paul is laying out, and he's talking about false apostles and everything, all the claims they're making, and they were trying to, to uh, take away from Paul and take away from the church. And so he begins to, he says, man, I'm going to boast about some things here. I'm going to talk foolishly, he says. And so he sets out doing that. He goes, are they Hebrews in verse 22? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He goes, I'm talking like a madman, but I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments. Do we have anyone here that's ever been imprisoned for the Gospel? Raise your hand. Anybody here went to jail for the Gospel? Wow, we have a blessed generation, don't we? Not yet. yet. (laughs) All right, listen to this. Many more imprisonments, so not just one time. Did you know in China, in the church over there, they don't look at any church leader, it's an automatic prison sentence. If you're a pastor of a church, you're going to go to jail. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and for how long. That's how they view it. It's almost like a rite of passage. If you're a new pastor and you've never been to prison, well, what's wrong with you? See, our our soft American mindset, that's just not how things are in our our country, right? All right, let's keep going here. He goes, uh, far worse beatings. Anyone been beat for preaching the gospel? And in deaths, multiple, it's, it's plural. In the original, it's plural. And in deaths, Many times. What? Apparently Paul has been killed a few times. Sounds like he lost his life a few times. We're going to look at one of them where I believe he's talking about. At one of them. He goes, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times he took that beating. Three times I was beaten with rods. They would take rods and they would beat the end of your feet and they would break the bones in your feet and now... And Paul walked all over modern-day Turkey and Greece. So beat the end of his feet. How many times? Three times they did that. Once I was stoned, and it wasn't because he was from Colorado. They used rocks, man. Right? They stoned him for real. Three times I was shipwrecked. Anyone here ever been in a shipwreck? Like where the ship sank? Anybody? Yeah, three times he's in a shipwreck. Three times. He said, I've spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. Apparently, one of those times he was out there for a day and a half. Out there in the water. Bobbing along like a cork. Saying, thank you, Lord. Either bring me a shark with a saddle or get me to land. Look at verse 26. He says, on frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers. Apparently, there wasn't always a bridge when he crossed the river. Sometimes you go over a river and raging water at flood season. That's dangerous. People drown that way. He said, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, 
Dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. It's like, man, everywhere I go, they're trying to kill me. There's danger. <laughs> danger, danger, ranger, danger. All right, verse 27. Labor and hardship. Work and hard times, he's saying. Many sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst, often in fastings, cold and lacking clothing. And if you look down in verse 32, he even mentions the very first time he faced any opposition. He goes in that one time where, you know, verse 32 and 33, he goes, they had to let me down in a basket out of a window down over a wall because they wanted to kill me. So Paul is going through and he details this immense list of opposition. Not just a little bit. I mean, like this list is big enough to make like, it's pretty severe, right? This list is not just one time something wild happened. You know, most of us can have a testimony of one time something crazy happening, but this is like a whole page full of all these things that just would be enough for to kill a lot of people. In fact, he does say in death several times. Oh, I just tried to swipe my Bible page to move it up. <laughs> Let's go to verse or chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 through 4. He says, It is necessary to boast. It is not helpful. But I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words which a man is not allowed to to speak. And I'm going to, if you'll just listen, we're going to come back and, and read this in some better translations, but first let me read you some bad ones about what comes next. Because this is an example of twisting Scripture. In fact, I'm going to read verse 5 and 6 before I read these others. He says, I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. Now, the King James says infirmities, but this word means feebleness and frail, frailty. In my, in my weakness is really a very good translation. In verse 6, he goes, For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool, because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Now, I'm gonna, I like the Living Bible uh, many times, but man, they really butchered this really badly. Check this out. This is what they say. I will say this, because these experiences I had were so tremendous, those visions, right? And, and the things that he had. He didn't know whether he's in the body, out of the body. He doesn't know if it was a vision or if I actually was there. It was so real to him. And he's talking about himself. Yeah, he said, I know a man, but there as we keep reading, he takes ownership of it. It says, because of these experiences I had were so tremendous, God was afraid I might be puffed up by them. Really? God's afraid now? This just keeps getting worse. So I was given a physical condition which has been a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to hurt and bother me and prick my pride. Three different times I begged God to make me well again, and each time He said no. But I am with you. That is all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Now I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Well, that's good. 
Let's look at what the message says. Now, if you like the Message Bible, um, understand that what you have is not a Bible, it's a commentary. Why would I say that? Because the whole thing is like a paraphrase of a paraphrase, right? And so it was never, when he made, the guy made the message, um, he, didn't, he didn't create it to be a Bible, he made it to be something that his children could read as a commentary from him. Well, then it ended up going everywhere. But here's how he says it. He says, because of the extravagance of these revelations, so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Have you ever heard that kind of talk? Where sickness is a gift? Oh, it's a blessing in disguise? But we've answered this question repeatedly in this series, right? That that's not a blessing in disguise. It's a curse. Sickness is part of the curse of the law. And what God calls a curse, we have no business calling a blessing. And if you were blessed in the circumstance, thank the Lord for it. But understand, it didn't come from the sickness. It came because He helped you in spite of it. So, so he wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. Oh, glory to the cancer. Glory to the wheelchair. Right? Appreciate the sickness. Appreciate the limitations. And there are people that do that. There are people that get sick and they make it their identity. And they don't want to get better because then all the attention, they would lose that. So this isn't such a foreign idea. It's out there. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. See, most Christians believe this twisted version of what actually happened. Most believers think this is what it's saying. Some because of translations that just really butchered it. Others because they've been taught wrong. In fact, if you look up commentaries on this, man, it gets crazy. I mean, they come up with all kinds of wild things. There was some guys that say that, well, Paul had the thorn in the flesh, was, uh, must have been a disability of some kind, and he probably had um, ophthalmia, which is a rare eye disease. Ophthalmia. And they'll quote Galatians 4, and we're going to look at that later, and say, yep, he, he must, something was wrong with his eyes, apparently. He must have had this disease. Other people said, no, he had migraines and headaches. And in other commentaries, they're saying, no, he had malaria. He had frequent fever, I think. Um, another one was saying epilepsy. That's what he had going on with epilepsy. And then, then I found one that said, no, he had a speech disability. All trying to understand thorn in the flesh. So to make it make sense, we'll add things in that it doesn't say. See how that now begins to twist. And when you look at now the next verse about my grace is enough for you, and if you think that grace is somehow a cover-up and allows you to put up with the problem, but that's not what grace does at all. Grace overcomes the problem. Grace is the answer out of the problem. Not just allowing you to, well, suffer through it. 
See, God isn't bipolar here. But a lot of these guys, commentators, they seem to think so. Why would I say that? Well, it seems like they think he's working with the devil against his own plan to spread the gospel. You know, Paul is out there spreading the gospel, he's preaching the word, but at God's direction. God's the one who commissioned him to do that. But then he's going to come over here and work with the devil and send a messenger from Satan to, hey, go prick his proud balloon. That doesn't make sense at all. That would make him bipolar. Is a work of, just think this through a little bit, is a work of the devil that hinders you and keeps you from accomplishing the will of God, is that somehow going to glorify God? No. He doesn't have any part of it. He's not the one doing it. You know, one of the questions we asked weeks ago was, does God make people sick? And we looked at Scripture on it. And So if you haven't, I don't know which sermon it was, so you just have to listen to all of them to find it. And it'll be good for you to hear it. So if Jesus, in Isaiah 53, we read this earlier, if He carried your sickness, if He bore your sickness, if He carried your pain, and by His wounds we are healed, Now, last week, we very, very clearly laid out that that is not talking about spiritual healing. It's not possible for it to be spiritual healing. And we brought other scriptures to it, and we examined that through other scriptures, and we saw that it wasn't wasn't spiritual healing, it was physical healing that He provided. And if Jesus bore your sickness, if He carried your disease, if by His wounds you're healed, then is He going to turn around and give you what He delivered and redeemed you from? to teach you? Would He do this with sin? I've redeemed you from that sin, but because you're cruising along over there so victoriously, I'm going to send some sin over to you to kind of keep you humble. That's just silly, isn't it? But that's what people are doing with this whole thing on healing. And they're reading it this way. No, we have to resist sin. Right? We have to resist sickness. And do we do it in our own strength? Either one of those? No. We do it from the position of victory that Jesus has already provided for us back there at Calvary. We do it from that position of victory. And how do we do it? We open our mouth. We open our mouth and we speak what God said about us, about the problem, about the disease, about the devil, about whatever we're dealing with. Say what he says. All right, let's go back and look at this a little more closely and what what does the text actually say, accurately say. Let's uh, look at verse 5, but if you would, put it up in the New King James. And we're going to read 5 through 7 in the New King James. It says, Of such a one I will boast. Talking about this guy that had these visions. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Now this word infirmities means weakness. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he seems, sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Now that line is where a lot of these translators think, well, okay, to keep him from being proud. To keep him from getting a big head. Lest I should be exalted above measure. That's not what it's saying. By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He says it again. Now, understand a few things here. This messenger, the word messenger there, it's also the word angel, but it means it's, it's a messenger, a divine messenger with a divine message usually, but it's used for angels, it's used for both good and bad angels, and in this case, we don't have to guess what kind of angel it was. Some, some of the more literal translations use the word angel here, but we don't have to guess what kind of angel it was because he goes on and says it was an angel of Satan, so it's not from God. So God and the devil aren't working together, so we can very clearly right now see this was not from God. This was from Satan. Now, why did this thing come from Satan against me? Well, to keep me from being exalted. Not keep me from being proud. Keep me from being exalted. So, does God want you to be exalted? We're going to answer that pretty soon. I'm just going to let you see. The other part of this that you have to look at is, uh, so I'm uh, an angel of Satan to buffet me or to, to hit me. It's like hit repeatedly. Right, It's to harass, some translations say. Um, this one here says torment, to torment me. One translation says to batter me. That's what the word really, it really means, is to, to batter. Lest I be exalted above measure. A thorn in the flesh, let's just get this very, very clear. This is not literal. This is Figurative language. It's a figure of speech. Are you familiar with a figure? It's a figure of speech. Thorn in the flesh. Why would I say that? Well, it's kind of like us saying a pain in the neck today. Man, they're a pain in the neck. Does that mean they're over here poking our neck? No, it just means it's a metaphor. We're, it's, it's a figure of speech of language. Or maybe we say, yeah, I got your back. Does that mean you have their spine and you're over there with their back? No, it's a figure of speech. And Paul, here, if you look at this, Paul knew the Old Testament very, very well. Right? He was a Pharisee. And so he knew what was meant by this figure of speech from the Old Testament. And not only that, his readers, they were also knowing the Old Testament and they knew the context of what a thorn in the flesh was. All of them had the understanding, there was no question in their mind about whether this is a figure of speech or a literal thing. In fact, in 2,000 years from now, let's just pretend someone finds a writing somewhere and um, they are reading it and it says, man, it rained cats and dogs. Now, if they don't know that that's a figure of speech and a common figure of speech today, they might think something really crazy happened. Right? So, this here is a figure of speech and we're going to show you from Scripture that this expression, thorn in the flesh, in the Bible is always used as a figure of speech about people. Always used as a figure of speech about people. Never in the Bible is thorn in the flesh used to talk about sickness or disease or even pain. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read them to you. We'll start with the first one that you'll find in the Word is in, in Numbers 33.5 if you're taking notes. He says, he's talking to the children of Israel and he's telling them that uh, giving them instruction, he says, but if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those you allow to remain, now he's talking about people, right? Those people you allow to remain will become thorns in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. That's that, that battering, that tormenting. 
So people are the thorns in this case. Let's go on to the next one. So this is now Joshua's account of how this happened. And this is what, what it says in Joshua 23.13. He says, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord God has given you. Again, he's talking about people being these thorns to them, tormenting them. Judges. Now, judge. this is all in chronological order that I'm giving it to you and when and how it was said. So in the time of the judges, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. Now, they knew that he wasn't talking about a physical poke in your side. Over here with, with a pin. Right? They're going to be poking you in the side. No, it's a figure of speech. Second Samuel 23, verse 6 reads this way. But evil people are like thorns. All of them are tossed away, for they cannot be held in the hand. Ezekiel 2, verse 6 says, But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Though briars and thorns are beside you, and you live among scorpions, don't be afraid of their words. Wait a minute. Do briars and thorns and scorpions have words? Not real, physical ones. So, figure of speech. Don't be afraid of their words or be discouraged by the look in their faces, for they are a rebellious house. People are referred to as thorns. Uh, in chapter 28, verse 24 of Ezekiel as well, it says, No longer will the people of Israel have malicious neighbors, so people, that are painful briars and sharp thorns. Then they will know that I am the Sovereign Lord. So briars, pricks, thorns, scorpions, traps, snares, all of it is in reference to people. Not one time was one of these referencing sickness or a disability or an eye disease or epilepsy, right? It was a figure of speech. So let's go back to the New King James, verse 5. I'm gonna, uh, let's just start in verse 7. Let's read it again. And uh, if you went away from it, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So this is a messenger of Satan that has been sent to do a specific job. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations... What is revelation? It's light. Does the Lord like when you have light? Yeah. Does the devil like when you have revelation or light? No. So who would be interested in stopping this whole thing? Would be the devil, right? So he goes on and he says, A thorn in the flesh was given to me. He's not talking physical sickness or disease. A messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. So is a messenger of Satan going to, a, a, an angel, a, a fallen angel, going to teach Paul humility? No, that doesn't make sense at all. Does it make sense that one of the main things the devil's known for, pride, that that's going to be the one to teach you humility? No, that doesn't hold up logically. That Jesus, full of humility, right? He was full of humility. 
Does it make sense that him being full of humility needs to use the proud devil to teach humility to somebody? That doesn't make sense either. (laughs) Teach him how to stay humble. So what does that mean? That exalted above measure. In James 4.10, I'll just read it to you. Stay up here on the screen that we have. James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So is God in the exalting? Is He interested in exalting you or putting you down? Exalting you. How about in Psalm 75.10? It says, I will cut off the horns of the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be exalted. Who are the righteous? Those who have made Jesus their Lord, right? The horns of the righteous are going to be exalted. So is God the exalter of the righteous? Yeah. So is He the one that would be trying to keep you from being exalted? No. But if the Lord God, the Creator of the universe, is the one that is exalting His children, who do you think would have an interest to keep you from being exalted? The devil. Okay. We've got that one cleared up. So as I said before, revelation is the cause of this situation. Light is the cause of him being attacked by this messenger of Satan. And what's happening here, let me just make it real plain. An angel of Satan is following Paul around and stirring up trouble and stirring up persecution against him everywhere he goes. I mean, if you read the book of Acts, you see that everywhere Paul goes, there's revival and riot. Revival and riot. Revival and riot. And he's just being persecuted all the time. That's because this devil was following him around, stirring up the people that he had influence over to come and to persecute him and to bring a stop to what Paul was doing. So let's read verse 8. Verse 8 says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. So Paul is pleading with the Lord to make it stop. Lord, you make this devil stop. Lord, do something about this devil that's harassing me. Paul didn't know at the time that that's not how you deal with evil spirits. That's why he's writing it, because he got revelation and light on it and figured out how to deal with it. But at the time, he didn't know, and so he asked the Lord one time, Lord, would you take this thing away? Then he asks him again, Lord, would you do something about this devil? And then he finally, the third time, apparently he's pleading, he's begging with the Lord, just please do something about this. I'm tired of having shipwrecks. Right? But we know from Scripture that this isn't the way to make the devil stop. We have the authority to make him stop. We have to do something about it. He has given us that authority and it is up to you and I to say, whoa, no further. Stop right there. Let's look at verse 9. So what's the answer? And He said to me, this is God's answer. So after that third time, He says to him, now I guess the Lord's sitting there going, man, I better say something to him else he's just going to keep thinking that it's up to me. He says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness, that's in feebleness. 
Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. The easy-to-read version says it this way. It says, but the Lord said, my grace is all you need. Only when you are weak can everything be done completely by my power. See, what is the Lord's grace? Let's just answer that question. What is grace? Is grace something that permits us to hobble through life? Or is grace something that enables us to be more than a conqueror? To live in victory? You know, the Word says that if we need it, we should go to the throne of grace and ask for help and we'll find mercy in that time that we need it. So grace is not a cover-up. Grace is God's ability coming to you to help you do something you cannot do on your own. That's what grace is. Grace is God's empowerment to you. His ability to you. So let me paraphrase what's being said here. So unlike these translations that try to pretend they're Bibles, I'm telling you, this is a paraphrase. This is me just rewording it. Okay? He's saying, Paul, you don't need me to do this for you. I've already given you everything you need to deal with this. My grace is more than enough and it's all you need to overcome this. When you're feeling at your weakest, my power is at full strength for you to be more than a conqueror. He's not telling Paul, yeah, you got to just put up with this sickness. Yeah, you got to just put up with this persecution. He's saying, no, my grace is what makes you more than a conqueror. My grace is what gives you the ability to overcome. And yeah, I know you feel weak and beat up right now, but guess what? My power is at full strength for you. We have been given the authority. Paul was given the authority to make it stop. What does Mark 11.23 tell us? It says, Jesus was speaking to the disciples. Listen to what He says. I told you earlier that you have to open your mouth. Last week, we ended the sermon that way, saying we have to open our mouth. Well, here in, in Mark eleven twenty three, this famous faith verse, when the fig tree was withered, now they're at the scene, the disciples are surprised, Jesus is telling them and using it as an illustration. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, have any of you ever faced mountains in your life? Yeah. So if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says, so there's words coming out of his mouth, he will have whatever he says. Words coming out of your mouth. So what are you saying? Are you just saying, man, I'm cursed. I just feel like I'm cursed. Everything I do, it goes against me. Man, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And you're going to have what you say. Might want to change what you're saying, Right? So, we have the authority to say something. He says the word say three times in this verse. He says the word believe one time. So clearly you need to believe what you say, but you need to say. Luke 10, let's look at it. Um, actually, I'll just read because we're getting shorter on time. Luke 10, verses 17 and 19, if you're taking notes. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow, even the demons are listening to us when we use your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. So what is the context? What is the subject? It is demons and devils. 
right? This is the context. And the context is, they listen to us. They obey us in your name. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. He's not talk- this is a figure of speech as well. He's not talking about literal snakes and literal scorpions. He is talking about demons and the devil. And these fallen angels that follow people around like Paul just to harass them and stop them from fulfilling what God has assigned for them to do. And so he's saying, look, I have given you the authority to trample them. What happens if you trample a scorpion? It's dead. Crunch. No more bother from that thing. That kind of authority is what's been given to you and I. To be able to rebuke the devil. Rebuke any evil spirit that is coming against us. This is how you deal with demonic harassment. Which is what was going on for Paul. I'm going to read um, verse 9 and 10 again to you. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weakness, it insult, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. Why would he say that? Because he knows that God is more than a match for any of these things that come towards him. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And when the devil comes at you, you have the authority to make him stop. To make it stop. In fact, here's some advice. Make him regret ever coming at you to begin with. Make him regret it. The Woos translation reads very interestingly. I want to read it to you. It says, And with respect to the superabundance of the revelations, in order that I may not be exalted over much, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to end, to the end, that he might constantly maltreat me, lest I be exalted over much. Concerning this, three times I begged the Lord that he might depart from me. And he said, He has said to me, And his declaration still stands. I like that. His word still stands, doesn't it? My grace is enough for you, for power is moment by moment coming to its full energy and complete operation in the sphere of weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I the rather boast in my weakness in order that the power of Christ may take up its residence in me. See, if you're not weak, you don't need the power. That's why he's saying, man... When I come across sickness, or not sickness, insult, or hardship, or all these lists of things that he had made, when I come across that, I'm going to rejoice because his power is going to take up residence in me. Wherefore, I am well content in weakness, in insults, in necessities, in persecutions, and in circumstances under which I am subject to extreme pressure on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am filled with ability and power. Not then I have to suffer through, but at least I'll survive. Because you know the grace of God. No, the grace of God causes you to overcome, to thrive, not survive. 
It's called grace. Let's go to um, chapter 13 now. We're right there, 2 Corinthians 13. And let's look at the ultimate example, or an example of ultimate weakness and ultimate grace. In verse 3, it says this, Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, He is not weak, it's the word feeble, toward you, but powerful among you. In fact, He was crucified in weakness, or the King James says in infirmities. It's not talking about sickness, it's talking about He was crucified. I mean, crucifixion causes the ultimate weakness. You die. Right? When weakness has its full time, you're dead. Okay? So, He was crucified in weakness, but He lives by God's power. So that's God's grace. God's enablement is what brought Jesus Christ up out of the grave. For we also are weak, are feeble. In Him yet towards you, we will live with Him by God's power. Talking about now, at this time, in this life. So the question about Paul's thorn, what it was, and what he was supposed to do about it, it wasn't, I'm not going to heal you. It was, here's your answer. Grace, which causes you to overcome. So let's look at a few other misunderstood scriptures that people try to connect over to this thorn in the flesh. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, and let's look at verse 13. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness, infirmities, or feebleness. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, You did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. What happened to this blessedness of yours? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out my your eyes. (laughs) Not my eyes, your eyes. If possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The people will read that and, they, and then those commentators will try to say, oh, well, this must have been what his thorn in the flesh was. And they make it a disease, not an injury. It wasn't a rare eye disease, as some try to say. In fact, let's go over to, um, yes, let's go over to Acts chapter 13. And in Acts 13, look at... So Paul is out, he's preaching, and if you'll, he, he lays out a sermon to them, and then in verse 44, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when Jesus, Jews, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. So we know now what's going on in the background. There is an angel that's been following him around, a bad angel from Satan, that is causing this problem everywhere Paul goes. And so he's stirring these people up. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary that God's word be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews 
incited the religious women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. He stirred them up. You know, thorns in their side is what they were. But shaking the dust off their feet against them, they proceeded to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe, the one whose minds were darkened still by the enemy, they refused to believe. They were stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So do you see this happening again? This, they went from one place to another place. Guess what? This messenger of Satan has followed them and are now going to try to stop them at this place. Now, Iconium is the modern day city of Kona in Turkey. And this is within a region that was called Galatia. So we just read in Galatians to the people of Galatia that when I was there with you, I was there in some weakness. And man, I preached to you guys and you guys would have, I don't know, torn out your eyes and given them to me if it were possible. And so he's talking to the place, Galatia is a region. Now, to back up even further and get a bigger bird's eye view of it, it's Galatia is within the area called Asia at that time. So when it says he went into Asia, he's taught Galatia is part of that Asia region. And then part of Galatia is the towns of Iconium and Lystria and some of these other places. Kind of like saying Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, Lancaster City. So what happened here? Well, they stirred up persecution against them. Let's look at verse 3. What's the devil wanting to do is shut him down, right? Verse 3, so they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord who testified to the word of His grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to Lyconian towns called Lystria and Derbe. This is also in the Galatia region and to the surrounding countryside. And there they kept preaching the gospel. In Lystria, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he jumped up and started to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and he with the crowds intended to offer sacrifice. So they're getting ready to worship them now. And the apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you. We are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn aside from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to go their own way, although He did not leave Himself without a witness since He did good. Did you know God's goodness is His witness? giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying our hearts with food and happiness. 
Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, inspired by that devil, I suppose, back there at Iconium. And when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So they, yeah, this is one of the places I believe that Paul was, was dead. They thought he was. They stoned him to the point where they believed him dead, drug him out of the city, left him there. Verse 20 says, after the disciples surrounded him, they gathered around him. What might you do if you gathered around someone who'd just been stoned? I'll pray for him. I imagine they're praying for him. He got up, miracle. He got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby, going back to another glacier region. Now, it's interesting, and we'll see this a little bit later in Scripture, just because a miracle of resurrection took place here, it doesn't mean that he was instantaneously healed of all his injuries. It doesn't say that. In fact, other Scripture we're going to look at later show that he had scars and wounds, and, and we just already read in Galatia where he came to them in physical weakness or feebleness. I mean, if you got stones, I suppose you'd have some feebleness too. Maybe... I mean, if, if we're going to stone someone, what, where are we going to aim with the rocks? Their head. You take a bunch of rocks to the head, big rocks, you probably have some problem with your vision for a bit. And some swelling and all kinds of damage, right? No wonder they're saying, this is the Galatia region, right? He said this to the Galatians, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. This is the same place where he'd gotten stoned when he was there. Verse 21, after they had evangelized the good news to that town and made many disciples, this is back in Derby, they returned to Lystria, to Iconium, and to Antioch, the places where all this stuff was happening, strengthening the souls of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Necessary to go through problems. Didn't say be overcome by them. Go through them. Let's look at chapter 16. So they went back into the region of Galatia. Chapter 16. If you look down into verse 16, here is how you deal with this devil that follows you around. Paul is no longer asking the Lord to do something about it. He, he does something about it. So, they're walking around and there's this slave girl following them around saying, these men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, everyone knows that's a crazy woman. She has a reputation. She's a fortune teller. Now, who wants that person testifying for you? Oh, Paul, oh, Paul and Silas are like her. Oh, and see, instantly now, see, the devil wants to claim what they're doing. But instead, Paul, it says in verse 18, she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the Spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. So he's not waiting for the Lord to do something about it. He did something about it. He opened his mouth. Look, go over to, uh, well, if we would, we're not going to take the time to keep reading, but they get thrown in prison. They get beat. They have all these things happen to them once again. 
Well, this devil had followed them, and uh, then they end up, a church gets planted. And um, in, in fact, it says that, so they had the miracle of the earthquake, everyone's chains fall off, like miracle of miracles. And what does it say? It says he took them that same hour and washed, after he was born again, washed their wounds. Well, even though a miracle of earthquake had happened, apparently their wounds hadn't been healed instantaneously. Even though they have that coming from the Lord, healing belongs to them, right? So they had some wounds that still needed tended to. In Galatians 6, we'll look at a few more scriptures and we'll close. In Galatians 6, verse 17, look at what it says here. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Now remember, this is still to that Galatian region where he'd suffered all these things. Let no one cause me trouble because I carry the marks of Jesus on my body. The TS 2009 translation says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the scars of the Master. The Amplified reads this way, For now on, let no person trouble me, for I bear on my body the brand, marks of the Lord Jesus, wounds, scars, and other outward evidence of persecutions. These testify to His ownership of me. Interesting that he's not talking, you know, about some rare eye disease, but persecution, but opposition from the devil, not a disease. Um, let's look over in Second Corinthians, in chapter one. Here, Paul talks further about everything that had happened while he was there. In chapter one, he's now telling the Corinthians about the hard time I had over there in Asia, that Galatia region. He says in uh, verse eight. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. However, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have placed our hope in Him that He will deliver us again. Deliverance from persecution. Let's look at 2 Timothy. We'll go to two places. 2 Timothy and then to Ephesians. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at verse 10. Now Paul is writing and he's talking to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy some things. He says, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, Faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria, that Galatia region. What persecutions I endured! Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, you and I can anticipate demonic opposition. If you're going to step out to do the Lord's will, you can anticipate there's going to be opposition to me. However, the Lord's grace to you is more than enough for you to reign as a king in life. Romans tells us that we are to reign as kings. And how does a king reign? With his mouth. He gives orders. He doesn't go out and do all the work of his orders. He gives orders and the orders get carried out. That's how a king reigns. And you and I are to reign as kings in life. In Ephesians, we're going to end there in Ephesians chapter 1. 
We're talking about you. If you have demonic opposition, demonic problems in your life, devil-inspired trouble. Has anyone ever felt like, man, the devil's just chasing me down on this? All right? I have. So there's, there's something that's required of you. There's something that you need to do about it. Here in Ephesians, in verse 20, it says, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens. God did this. Far above every ruler, every authority and power and dominion, and every title given, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So in our current age that we live in, as well as the one to come, He is above every authority, every title, every name, every power, every dominion. doesn't matter how big or little the devil or spirit is. He has authority. Verse 22. And He put, God put everything under His, Jesus' feet, and appointed Him as head over everything for the church. He is the head of the church which is His body, the fullness of the One who fills all things in every way. It is at the name of Jesus that you can take authority over any spiritual attack that comes against you, whether it be a fallen angel or some little devil. There's no level there that is greater than the name of Jesus. If it's the devil himself that shows up to harass you, the name of Jesus is more than sufficient to make him pack his bags and, and leave town. So don't put up with these things in your life. If you feel like you have been being harassed in your life by some demonic force or demonic spirit, I'm going to invite you and we're going to lead you in a prayer of deliverance tonight to break that off of you because there's no need that you go any further with this tonight if you feel something has been harassing you. Alright? So let's just uh, let's do this. Stand up with me if you would. How does a king reign? With his mouth. mouth. He's going to say what the Father says. You know, the Word says that He made us more than conquerors. Greater is He that lives in you than he that lives in the world. It's talking about those demonic angels, right? Greater is He. Someone say, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. He has made me a conqueror. He has made me more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer by the name of Jesus. All right, if you have been feeling like, you know what, I've had some demonic bondage in my life, I want you, we can all, re, we can all say this. I want you to just repeat after me. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take authority in the name of Jesus over every demonic spirit that has been harassing you and bring an end to their work against you right now. That's what we're going to do. All right? So if you want to do that, you just go ahead and repeat after me. Say, Father God, I take the authority you've given me in Jesus Christ. And now I address every foul spirit that has harassed me. I command you to stop it in Jesus' name. I bind your work that's come against me. I cause it to fall to the ground useless. 
In the name of Jesus, I am free from every demonic oppression that has come against me. And I thank you, Lord, for this freedom. Now someone say, I am free. Let's worship Him. name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow. Thank you, Lord. I need to tell you something before we dismiss. You know, if you've had demonic oppression and opposition in your life, you don't need somebody else to cast that thing off or break it off from you. You have the authority to do it yourself. You don't have to have someone else say it to you. I mean, certainly if you are all bound up and you want someone to help you, then then reach out. There's people all around in this congregation that would help you in that way. But you don't need to do that. You have the ability. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you have all the authority that's necessary to send every devil in hell packing that comes against you. All right? So if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, then do so. Don't delay. Tonight, find somebody and say, hey, help me. Show me if you don't know how. Or maybe, maybe you're one that says, well, I do know how, and I, and I did back there during the worship song. Then tell somebody afterwards. Be accountable to someone. Let them know the good news that happened to you. Well, hallelujah. Thank you all for coming out. We have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. So as you go, love on each other because one way that we love God is how?
Good evening and welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. What is your body? It's that carcass that's sitting on that seat right now. That body. Hands, feet. Knowing not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and where does the Holy Spirit live? In me. In me, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which you have of God, and you are not your own. Say, I am not my own. You know, I have three little grandchildren that come into my apartment. And they come through the door and they say, Nana, can I have some apple, some apple cider? Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cracker? Can I have your phone? Can I have that thing up on that shelf? They ask. Do you want to know why they ask? They understand ownership. They know they didn't buy that. It's not theirs. Do you know your body does not belong to you? Do you know that it's been purchased by the very blood of Jesus? And it says that in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, therefore points you back to what God just said. Therefore, you don't own yourself. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, the next two words are really key. Glorify God. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because they belong to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, 21, it says, Whatever you, whatever you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, say, whatever I do. Do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Let's stand together as family tonight in this assembly. And let's be a doer of the word because we want to. Not because we have to, but because because we get to. Amen.
mother of Jesus said from her soul, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The very mother of Jesus knew she needed a Savior. If you're here today, tonight, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your night. God himself emptied himself and became a man, took on flesh and blood, walked on the earth 33 years, died on the cross that you might be born again, all your sins completely taken away, eradicated from your life, that you would have relationship with God's Father, Jesus' Father, and now your Father as a born-again child of God. He died for you, shed his blood for you. Then on the third day, God the Father raised him up from the dead. He's a living God. He's alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's alive for you tonight. If you don't know him as your Savior, ask him to forgive you. Come into your heart. If there's somebody here who needs to be born again or would like to be, just raise your hand tonight. Humble yourself before a mighty God and let him raise you up. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for the good word of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your sweet presence is here tonight with us. Father, we just open up our hearts to you. We open our hearts to the Spirit of God in this place. We open our hearts to the anointed word. We want to be changed by you from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So have your way. Just say that. Have your way with me. Have your way in my heart tonight. Father, we just yield ourselves to you. We thank you. We thank you and give you all the praise and glory. Well, one way we love God is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Love you very much. The children may be dismissed. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all again, or at least most of you. I think we had a really good turnout last night at our Christmas party. So if you were not able to make it to our Christmas party last night, I just got to tell you, you missed out. (laughs) We had a great time. And honestly, I was very impressed with the teamwork afterwards. Do you think about that? We had... Oh, and thank you to everyone that set up beforehand. We had a lot of volunteers setting up, making that happen. So it was a great time. And, yeah, great time. All right. Well, we would like to welcome any visitors that are with us here tonight. So if you're a visitor, could you raise your hand so we can applaud you and make you squirm a little? (laughs) Pastor Sidney has some first cousins with us here this evening. So, all right, well... If you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. Our ushers will see that you get it. And I want to give some encouragement to you tonight as we return the tithe. I just want to encourage you um, in your finances. Some, something that the Lord put on my heart. So I'm going to give it to you in a sentence, and then I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so it's resist fear, conquer the fear, 
obey the specific word of God to you so you can experience the blessing or the uh, supernatural answer he wants to get across to you. So we, we talk a lot about sowing and reaping, and I know you're very familiar with that. And we often bring out how this touches every area of life, I and mean, we talk about it a lot at you know, offering time and things, but it really we, it touches every area of life. And it mirrors natural uh, sowing and reaping. You know, there's seed, time, and then harvest. But have you ever wondered, or maybe you've experienced, maybe you've seen it, um, examples in the Word, where it seems like they just went from uh, the give to the answer, or the give to the supernatural blessing or whatever. All right, well, for an example, like Peter, like last week we talked about Peter, where he gave his time and he gave the master the use of his boat, and then he went... I mean, it wasn't a short time later till he had this net-breaking increase. So, so what was that? Well, that is um, a specific thing. That is the rhema word of God to you. And the key phrase is, at your word, at the master's word. So this is different from following a seams or following like um, a spirit of peace on the inside as you act on the word and sow. You know, we're instructed to tithe. We're instructed to give offerings. And we know the law of sowing and reaping works in our finances. But this is when a specific word of the Lord comes to you. It's a rhema word. And we, we need to obey this. I want to look in First Kings uh, 17. And starting in verse 8. Here's an, just an account I wanted to give, um, to share with you tonight. So it's the story of Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. So it says here in verse 8, The word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now notice, he's already spoke to this widow about it. Right? So he's not springing this on her, although it kind of looks like that, but he didn't. He said, it's very specific. He said, I commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, so she must have been out there gathering these sticks, and here comes this guy and saying, Hey, can you get me a drink of water? Okay, sure, that's, that's not hard. I mean, you know, we got a well. It's not a big deal. Ah, but then he says, <laughs> he says, Oh, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Oh, wait a minute here. Now, this kind of appears self-seeking, right? I mean, just think about this. Here's this preacher guy asking for food from a widow in a famine time. I mean, come on. Aren't, isn't pure religion feeding the widows and the orphans and stuff? And here, you're, Who does he think he is? But, but it's not self-seeking because he's acting on the word of the Lord. He's acting, he's obeying the word, or the Lord, the Lord said, go ask her for this. Go to her. So he's obeying. So verse 12, this is her response. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. In other words, honestly, I don't have anything. I, I mean, here, I have this, he says, only, she says, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever? I mean, I've, I've done it one time in my life where I, that I can think of. And when I did it, I thought of this right here where I squirreled something away and just thought, you know what? 
This is going to be my baby's last milk. This is, this is it. And I'm going to tell you a backside of the story that Pastor Sid shared with you a couple weeks ago. And I know we've said it before, but it's, I'm going to give a shortened version because you know it. Um, where we had, it was actually in 2009. It was the first time Levere Sofer was out there. And he's sitting in the office, you know, contemplating this small offering. And he's got $4 in his pocket. And the Lord said, put the $4 in. And that was it. And I mean, when I say that we didn't have any money, we didn't. He didn't have work. We had, um, I know we didn't have enough money in our bank account to even buy a pack of gum. You know, like, because at that point in our life, $5 in the bank account was like, well, okay, you could at least get some milk. So I know we didn't, I mean, it was low. What he did not know is that some months prior, I, out of fear, had squirreled away a $20 bill that someone had given us. And I squirreled it away in a, in a drawer, way down deep that we didn't often go and covered it up. And that was our, and I thought of this right here. Here's our 20 bucks. If it's going to be our last meal or my baby's last bottle, here it is. What is that? That's fear. That is not trust. That's relying on my logic, my reason, my ability to provide, my smarts. Well, that's where she's at right now. And Elijah said to her, and I mean, he, said, he addresses it. He addresses the fear. He said, do not fear. How many times are we told in the word not to fear? And, he, and he'll tell you what he says. Do not fear. Often what's coming next is you're going to have an opportunity to yield to fear to obey the next thing. That's usually what's coming next. And he says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. I just want to bring out again, this is, this on face value looks self-seeking. But, you know, how do we show love for God? By the way you love other people. How do you show honor to God? By honoring other people. You know, this is honoring the Lord. The word of the Lord... This was the word of the Lord to her. I mean, the Lord said he commanded her. So he'd already spoke to her heart about it. Maybe if she had, maybe, maybe I mean, just the word doesn't say, but maybe she was in fear and she didn't have this cake prepared before he got there. <laughs> you know? So as we honor, if we want to honor the Lord, it's, it's going to go horizontal. It's going to go horizontal. So, um, so where was I? Verse 13. So he's telling her, Overcome this fear. You know, fear holds you prisoner. If you can't overcome the fear, it'll keep you from obeying the word. And if you don't obey the word, then, then you can't get across to the other side where the supernatural answer, the supernatural provision is. So you've got to get, get that fear out of the way so you can move. It'll paralyze you. It says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Well, she conquered the fear, because it says, And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of the Lord by Elijah. So a man stood up in front of her and said the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you, she would, had she not conquered that fear, her and her son would have ate that last meal and died. 
So my, that was what I had in my heart tonight was just um, overcome the fear, obey that rhema word to you, and believe God that answer's coming, that provision is coming, and just expect it. All right, well, let's pray over the tithes, so take a hold of that. Father, we present our tithes to you this evening and our offerings, and we just have grateful hearts. We're so thankful for the way you provide for us. We recognize you as our sustenance, the one that sustains us. We are completely dependent upon you for everything, and we just praise you because you do such a great job at taking care of us, and we trust you. We put our trust in you for everything, Lord, and I just thank you that all of the needs in this house are met according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, well, if you haven't marked your calendar already, please mark it for the Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. We'll be having a good time Christmas Eve. Come out and celebrate the birth of Jesus. And... If you want to partake in our church-wide Christmas outreach, we are uh, donating it to Water Street Mission. So $2.59 will feed one homeless person a nice Christmas meal. So if you'd like to do that, you can just put it in the memo field for the Water Street uh, Mission, and we will send that on. Also, so we have a basket in the back collecting your Christmas cards that you'd like to pass out to the CWI family. And next Saturday is the last chance to bring them and, you know, get them passed out in that manner. So you can always give people cards whenever. But I'm saying we like to have a table and spread them all out and put them all the same people's cards together and make it easy. So next Saturday is our last time or chance to do that. <laughs> 